Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. Tonight, we welcome back friend of the show, Wade Sokolowski. He's a retired U.S. Army colonel and a graduate of East Carolina University. He's been on the show before to discuss the campaign in North Carolina in 1865, and in particular, his book on the Battle of Wise Forks of March 1865. He's got a new book on North Carolina's hospitals during the Civil War, which we'll discuss a bit, but his mission tonight is to speak for the Save Wise Forks battlefield movement. We'll find out why it needs saving and how we can all help from historian Wade Sokolowski, tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you tonight from, as usual, the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. As always, though, not speaking for ECU or the history department here or anybody else, just myself. And tonight's guest, likewise, speaks only for himself, as we always do on this show. Well, it has been an interesting week here on campus at ECU. Uh, Last weekend, our football team thrashed uh, the Knights of UCF, Central Florida, thoroughly. Uh, a game I enjoyed attending with a, a retired colleague. It was a weird game because the Pirates didn't make mistakes. They just played <laughs> solid football throughout uh, the the entire time. The, it was like you kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> there 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 uh, uh, four turnovers during the game, but none of them by the Pirates. Um, this week. Pirates go to the other side of the world, as the coach put it, uh, to play BYU for some unknown reason, a non-conference game in the middle of the season. Uh, I've been following the progress of the equipment truck, the Queen Anne, as it uh, t- the driver's been tweeting his progress across the country 
bringing all the stuff the team needs to play their game. And uh, I, I assume he's not driving while he's tweeting. Uh, the game is on Friday night, and so you can watch it wherever you are. Uh, my alma mater, Michigan, plays Michigan State. Always a major game, no matter what state, uh, what what the level of the two teams is. They both rise to the occasion. And I don't want to jinx either game by talking any more about them. So move on to other local news here at East Carolina. In relation to Civil War studies, uh, teaching a, a several upper-level undergrad courses this semester, both of them chronologically are in the Civil War era now. And something happened last week that had never happened before. And in, I guess, 19 years of teaching, 18 years here at ECU and, and several other places, I, I, I will sometimes try to figure out if students have done the reading for a given uh, assignment. They, they were supposed to read an essay by Mark Neely. Uh, you, you know him from uh, the, the Fate of Liberty, his great book about civil liberties in the North during the war. And I, I assigned an essay of Mark's for them to read. And we're going to have a discussion about it, but you can't have a discussion if the people haven't done the reading. And that becomes clear after a few minutes, and it's awkward. No one answers any questions. One or two people answer all the questions, and it's not really a discussion. And Everybody else is silent and looking down. No one enjoys that. So I try to sometimes figure out, have enough people done the reading to sustain an actual discussion? And what I will do in, in some cases, what I tried last week, is give a, so I'm going to give you a quiz, three very short questions. Uh, all right, and you get a good karma. Uh, if you haven't done the reading, you don't have to take a quiz. Just turn in a blank card with your name on it, you won't get punished. If, however, you haven't done the reading and you choose to take the quiz and try to fool me and get the questions wrong, then there will be negative consequences. And normally this works. The people who haven't read just turn their blank cards in, and those who have get all the questions right. And the questions are easy, like the essay is called The Police State of Richmond, and the first question, what city is the essay about? So if they've gotten far as the title, they get it right. I gave, the, I gave those directions, and every single student turned their card in blank. And I was so disappointed but after class, a bunch of them were in the hallway all talking about it. So I talked with them, and they said, oh, we all did the reading. We were just afraid we might get one wrong, and you'd think we hadn't read it. Even though the they didn't realize how simple the questions would be, of course. But that is symptomatic of the students since, I would say, since returning from COVID, the level of anxiety, the, the, the level of dedication, the hard work they do, they all did the reading. Uh, that's not always been the case in the past, but they're terrified of being wrong, getting a bad grade that will affect their record in some way, uh, taking a chance in order to have an adventure in learning is not on their horizon. They are they are risk averse. They are anxiety ridden, uh, and they're good students. Yet they they are they are terrified and. I've not seen anything like this uh, before, and I, I don't. I talked to some colleagues uh, earlier this week, and they said they were seeing the same thing. So uh, maybe it's the state of the world today. Whatever it is, if you have a college-age student somewhere, give them some encouragement. They're doing fine. They don't need to be afraid. Uh, if you're a college student listening to this, good for you. And uh, yeah, don't don't be afraid 
that's what the study of history tells us. Eventually, things will come around one way or another. Uh, it's been worse before. It was worse for just about everybody, 1861 to 1865, which is what we're here to talk about tonight. Let me just quickly remind you, you can find out what we're talking about next week from the website www.impedimentsofwar.org where Mark Gaffney keeps us up to date with who's going to be on the show next. Uh, next week, Clayton Butler starts off November of 2022 with a book on white unionists in the Deep South during the Civil War and Reconstruction. We'll have Alexander Rose uh, and his uh, book, The Lion and the Fox, Two Rival Spies and the Secret Plot to Build a Confederate Navy. On the 16th, David Thompson will talk about... Uh, finance during the Civil War, bonds of war, and then we'll take a Thanksgiving break, come back on the 30th with Brad Gottfried and one of his many, many books, his latest one, Lee Invades the North, a comparison of the Antietam and Gettysburg campaigns. On December 7th, Donna McCreary comes back to the show. She was on many years ago, uh, an old friend from pre-Civil War talk radio days. She has a new book called Mary Lincoln, Demystified. And we'll wrap up the fall season on the 14th with Gary Gallagher, who needs no introduction, and his new edition of a book that needs no introduction. It's Bruce Catton's Army of the Potomac trilogy that he has edited and annotated and can't wait to revisit that book and get his take on it. You can support all this with donations to the uh, the to Civil War Talk Radio. When you go to the website, there's a PayPal button you can push. Last week, was it just last week? Last week, a uh, week and a half ago was my, well, two weeks ago tonight was my 64th birthday. Uh, my daughter, elder daughter, said she'd always wanted that to happen because it would be like the Paul McCartney song and uh, we could live a happy life like the, the characters do in that song. Well, it's here, Caroline. We made it. Um, she sent a lovely card uh, message and uh, other daughter Maria sent a lovely Chicago pizza by uh, by Express. That was a, a great gift to get. Uh, so uh, you can join in the celebrating by sending me an enormous cash gift or a modest one. Uh, that would be okay too. Uh, your recurring donation uh, is especially welcome. When you do that, of course, I it is not a tax deductible gift. There's no guarantee what I will do with it. I that I could do it for use it for anything but in fact in the last month or two I made a donation out of that fund to the American Battlefield Trust another one to an ECU scholarship so it's quite possible your donation will go to a really worthy purpose if you give it to Civil War Talk Radio it's also entirely possible I will spend it on lottery tickets and Diet Dr. Pepper which I don't like and turgid romance novels uh, none of those three do I like uh I'm unlikely to buy them, but there are no guarantees in life. So uh, take your chance, send me your money, and see what I do with it. Tonight, uh, we are not taking a chance. We are guaranteed to have interesting words with Wade Sokolowski, uh, author most currently, most recently, of a book called North Carolina's Confederate Hospitals, 1861 to 1863. It's volume one of a projected two-volume series, and we'll talk about that a little bit later but uh, first, let me just say, welcome to the show, Wade. It's good to have you back. 
It is, sure is, Jerry. Thanks a lot, and and happy birthday, my friend. And, uh, and thank you. And good win freeze to you last weekend. <laughs> Boy, wasn't it? They just played lights out. It was fun. Um, well, the the uh, I, I'm delighted you were here. I've been following the the story at Wise Fork uh, for some time now. Uh, I think Skip Riddle first uh, contacted me about it, and then uh, uh, and, and he's been involved in this project, and others have. Uh, but let's start at the beginning. Let's start in March of 1865. Uh, listeners, you can go back and listen to my conversation with Wade and his co-author Mark Smith uh, back. I, it was how 2007? It was a long time ago. Uh, where we yeah, discussed two, actually 2007 was Aversboro. You had Mark. That's Smith right. Aver- we talked about and, that. And around 215. 2015 or so, we, right. we, we did a, we did Wise's Fort. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so 2015, uh, the title of that book is To Prepare for Sherman's Coming. To, yes, To Prepare for Sherman's Coming, The Battle of Wise's Forks, March 1865. Uh, so, so give us the thumbnail sketch. What happened at, at Wise's Forks in March 1865? Well, Wise's Fort is the first of four major battles that will occur here in eastern North Carolina in a very brief 14-day period. I like to call it two weeks of fury here in the old North State. Mm-hmm. And it all has to do with Sherman. Um, of course, Sherman's in or out up north through the Carolinas and beginning in 1 February, uh, coming up through the low country of South Carolina. He's actually got his finger on the map. He's heading to Goldsboro. Um, and of course, in February, you know, you know, in hindsight, we know about the Bennett Place and everything. But actually, when Sherman departs the Low Country, Savannah River area of, of that part of the Eastern Seaboard, he's actually headed to Virginia um, to link up with Grant and the forces there to put one final blow against uh, Robert E. Lee. Well, he knows. I mean, as the crow flies, uh, Savannah's about 450 miles away to Goldsboro, and he realizes that he needs. But Goldsboro is like an intermediate objective. He needs to come in, refit, rearm his armies. Um, it's in the dead of winter. They're crossing all those rivers in the Carolinas. Uh, they're coming through the, low, the <clears throat> excuse me, the low country, the Salkahatchee Swamp down in South Carolina. So his, his, the men are going to need a bit of a, a break before continuing on to Virginia. And, and, and Sherman puts his finger on the map in Goldsboro, North Carolina, and he essentially tells his chief logistician, East, uh, Langdon Easton, quartermaster uh, Beckwith, as well as uh, his commissary officer, Beckwith, excuse me, and then mm-hmm. his chief railroad engineer, W.W. Wright, he tells the three of them, you're not coming, up, you're not going to do the march with me. Get on a boat at Hilton Head and head up to Moorhead City in the Newburn area and get that railroad going over to Goldsboro uh, because we, we need that time um, we need that railroad to resupply to have all the uniforms and food and armaments and stuff waiting for him. So, so how, how far is Goldsboro from the coast then to give us, if we don't have a map handy? Uh, let's see what Newburn's about 40 uh, 40 miles from Moorhead city and about another 40 miles from Newburn. It's about 80 miles. Less okay. So, miles. so that's the intermediate goal. If, if Sherman gets there, then he can connect to the coast, refit, resupply. And, and what's going to happen is you have those forces coming coming from Newburn, uh, uh, Major General Jacob D. Cox in the 23rd Corps. They're going to move out. They're going to move west out of Newburn on March 2nd, and they're moving towards Kinston. And the problem is between Kinston and Newburn, there's about 17 miles of that railroad track of the Atlantic and North Carolina Railroad that Confederates pulled up mid-war. 
Um, so you've got this 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 dead space on the railroad. And in essence, Cox is not really looking for a fight. He's not looking to find the Confederate for forces that are lurking out there. His sole mission is to get the railroad going and the supplies coming in via ship at Moorhead City and Newburn to Goldsboro before Sherman gets there. So really, Wise's Fork it is the first one that of uh, the four major battles. The focus is on engineering and logistics for the Union forces, but General Bragg, and, and they pick up on this movement coming out of Newburn. And Robert Hoke's division, which evacuated out of Wilmington, was now hanging around the Goldsboro area. They're all going to shift east towards Kinston. And, and this is going to be an offensive action where, where they're going to try to turn back or at least put a stop to Cox so he cannot continue on to Goldsboro. Because they're aware. They, they know Sherman is en route. Uh, and, by, and by the second, uh, second day of March 2nd, Sherman's army is just now crossing the Great Petey River at Sherall, South Carolina. So they know he's aiming towards the Fayetteville, Goldsboro area. So, so it's it, important it, that they turn back that piece. And, that, and that's what that's the run up to Wise's Fort Jerry. It's all well, about let, logistics for the Union forces. Mm -hmm. And it's all about denying the Confederates, denying Cox linking up with Sherman. Because if they do, you're talking almost 100,000 men in eastern North Carolina, and, and the most Johnston can you ever put on the battlefield during March of 65 is about 25,000. So it's so a risky the, move on Joe Johnston's part, but he's got to do it. It's That sets the table then for where we're going to get to the Battle of Wise Forks. We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back, talk more with Wade Sokolowski. We're talking about the Battle of Wise Forks and the current state of the battlefield. This is Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. We'll be back in just a minute. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice of America Variety Channel. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu. Dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. 
And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Wade Sokolowski. He's the author of North Carolina's Confederate Hospitals, Volume 1, 1861-63. But he's also leading the charge to save the battlefield of Wise's Forks. We talked in the first segment about what happened at Wise's Forks, why it was a key uh, logistical point in Sherman's march through the Carolinas into North Carolina, heading toward Goldsboro. Uh, so, Wade, uh, at the battle itself, uh, how big was this battle? Well, geographically, uh, battlefield-wise, we're looking at about 4,000 acres. Mm-hmm. When you look at the total number of forces involved, um, the Confederate forces will, will continue to get larger throughout the three-day period with the elements of the Army of Tennessee flowing in from Tupelo, Mississippi. Um, so you're looking at, well, about 9,000 Confederates. General Bragg is the overall senior commander, uh, roughly just shy of 10,000 forces. And then Major General Cox is coming out of New Bern with a, a division from the 23rd Corps and two hastily formed divisions from forces that were um, Roanoke Island, Newburn, Newport, Moorhead City, Beaufort, Fort Macon area. And so Cox will bring onto the battlefield about 13,000. So as Civil War battles go, it's not it's not a, a Gettysburg in North Carolina, but it's significant for its strategic position. And you say it, it, it lasts over a period of several days. It sure did. Uh, you know, and real quick, like, you know, it's mm-hmm. you know, Sherman called all this activity from Moorhead City and Newburn in his own words to prepare for my coming uh, because his army, his army group needed to be resupplied before it continued on to Virginia. So it, it is a from a op, from a campaign operational perspective, it, it is important to Sherman that his army groups is able to resupply at Goldsboro. Uh, so from a size point, no, it doesn't even compare to the. Uh, the big ones mm-hmm. out there, but uh, from a st- uh, operational importance at the tactical and operational level, it's, it's significant to Sherman. And then obviously, when you're looking, if you put, you know, your Confederate hat on to Joe Johnston and them, you know, but with Alfred Terry coming up from Wilmington and Cox coming over from Newburn, that's another 30,000 Union forces, Jerry. And, and I tell people before Sherman shows up, there's barely 12,000 Union soldiers in our state. And, and by the time Sherman shows up, comes across the state line towards Fayetteville with 60,000, and then you've got Terry and Cox with another combined 30,000. I mean, that, that's a significant a size force. And you can see why to feed 90,000 men, you can't hang around Goldsboro very long and just mm-hmm. expect your foragers to go out. You're, going to, you're like a swarm of locusts. You're going to consume everything. So you've got, your, you've got to have your traditional lines of communication back to a port um, for logistics, for food, for coffee, for uniforms. And that's why that's so operationally important to Sherman, this battle. So, I mean, just picturing even just on the map in my head, Sherman basically has a north-south line of communication going back uh, to Charleston and even beyond to Savannah. But if he can replace it with a, a short 40-mile, 80-mile line, due east to the coast that's a lot shorter lot well safer. just just think in mind though sherman has no line back to anyone um just like he did when he left atlanta he's he's actually moving to his resupply when he left okay. atlanta he's moving to around fort McAllister, where where the army and the quartermaster general and the naval ships and stuff there resupplied him there before mm-hmm. they started the siege of savannah and when he when he departs savannah um he pretty much cuts that line 
Um, so he's actually that's why the significance of Goldsboro. There isn't there is, as we would say in the army today, there is no reach back for Sherman. Um, mm-hmm. It's either what his what his soldiers can forage or, mm-hmm. or get to Goldsboro to get the proper resupply. So if the Confederates, you know, they don't have to destroy Cox's force. They, yeah. If they can delay it long enough, they can put Sherman in a I, serious have, I, position. Absolutely. It's just a matter of checking that move, mm-hmm. um, halting it. And because what, also what it's doing is it's buying time because Johnson is gathering forces around Smithfield because the arm, the elements of the Army of Tennessee are they're slow, but they're coming. You know, there's another train load just about every day rolling into Smithfield, Selma area. Another 500, another thousand men coming in. So every bit of delay they can get buys him more time, uh, and and that's very important for him. So, are are they successful? What happens on the battlefield? Well, on uh, it's a little bit of little bit of heavy skirmishing on March 7th, uh, right around the area on Highway 70 called uh, right there where the Barron Steakhouse is. I think you're familiar with that. There's a bridge there. <laughs> That's Southwest Creek, about mm-hmm. two miles east of Kinston. Um, the Confederates successfully checked the Union advance, uh, the two divisions that are up front. And during the night, General Cox picks up on this, uh, excuse me, not General Cox, General Hoke picks up on how one federal lone brigade is kind of sticking out like a sore thumb almost a mile away from the rest of its division. And it's mm. during the night of March 7th that they they hold General Bragg holds his one and only council of war. And Hoke is there. D.H. Hill. Uh, uh, Haygood is there. Um, several other general officers. There's a whole lot more stars at this battle than his privates. But uh, uh, and that's where Hope makes the recommendation. Let me let me march around during the night and I'll, I'll attack the flank of that lone brigade in the morning. And D.H. Hill, when you hear the sounds of the guns come across Southwest Creek and it's on the morning of March 8th, around 11 o'clock, late in the morning, uh, between Hoke and Hill, they successfully capture over 900 federal soldiers from Colonel Upham's brigade. And it literally uh, sends the rest of those Union forces back a couple miles back to the area that we know today is the community of Wise Fork, where that convenience store is when you're first mm-hmm. coming in there off 70 past Dover. Uh, and so from that point on, and you know, the question is, where was Cox at? Well, see, Cox was focused on the railroad. And, and he was t- about 10 miles back helping, trying to get that railroad going. So uh, he allowed himself, he was under this illusion that there was just old men and young boys from the junior reserves and senior reserves at Kinston. He had no clue that Robert Hoke's division, the veteran division from the Army Northern Virginia, over 4,000 strong, had moved in there a couple days before. And oh, by the way, the Army of Tennessee and its hardened veterans, although beat up pretty bad from Nashville and Franklin, they still got some fight in them and they've been flowing on. And so March 8th is a total surprise for, for, for General Cox. Um, but he essentially goes to ground. He brings up Ruger's veteran division from the 23rd Corps and they essentially dig in around the Wise Fork area. And throughout the next couple of days, Cox has the advantage. He essentially says, OK, I'm going to transition to the defense. I've got interior lines. I can shift artillery, batteries and infantry. And, Co- and General Bragg will will try to continue to work around the flank. But he fails on March 9th. 
And then on the March, on the morning of March 10th, Bragg goes for it one more time with Robert Hoke's division right there where that convenience store is on modern day Highway 70, the community of Wise Fork. Um, and, and, and Hoke is, is successful for a little while, but, but General Cox is a daggone good commander. He anticipates this move. He weakens his center. He extends the far left of his Union flank line there. He adds a few more artillery batteries. I think it's a total of 20 guns that Hope's infantry brigades are charging into. And they get to probably within 60 yards of the Union line, and they essentially go to ground. Uh, and then they're counterattacked, and, and also they're, they're put into a very hasty retreat. And Bragg essentially has to order the Army of Tennessee to launch an attack in the center to relieve pressure. But by that time, on late, early in the afternoon of March 10th, the final day of the battle, uh, General Bragg has had a really good reconnaissance from the 2nd South Carolina, who's been hanging out down by Wilmington. Well, there's two more divisions of the 23rd Corps from Schofield's Old Corps coming up pretty much modern-day Highway 17 towards Jacksonville, then moving over towards Richlands. And by the March 10th, Bragg's reconnaissance says, hey, they're going to be here tomorrow. Um, so Bragg rolled the dice one final time on March 10th. It failed with Hope's attack. And by the afternoon of March 10th, Bragg will give the orders to evacuate Kinston as well as Goldsboro and fall back to Smithfield, which was Johnson's assembly point for his forces here in the Carolinas. So, so in, essence, it, in essence, the Confederates get a minor tactical victory on the 8th. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, they effectively halt Cox. And, and Cox, is they're confused, Jerry, because they knew Robert Hoke's division was down in Wilmington. But they're confused on why they've got POWs from the Army of Tennessee. We just fought these guys in Franklin and Nashville, and now they're here in North Carolina. So it causes Cox to go to ground for a couple more days mm -hmm. until Darius Couch gets in there with those other two divisions. And it's really not for almost another four days before Cox ever occupies Kinston. And oh, by the way, they're struggling with that railroad. Um, well, and they're not going to cross the Noose River until like the 21st of March. So we've got a situation where the the battle in that sense is a, a success for the Confederates. It does delay this yes, critical logistical movement. Now, in describing it, you've, you've referenced things like Highway 70, Highway 17, the convenience store, uh, these modern uh, you know, structures and highways that go through the battlefield. That doesn't sound, uh, again, like, like a pristine field like Antietam or Gettysburg. It sounds like there's modern stuff already there. There's no national military park there. There's really no state park either. Um, what, what is there today to see? No, essentially what you have, the, the vast majority of the battlefield is still rural farmland. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got your scattering of houses here and there on some of the country by roads that make up that 4,000 acres. Um, mm -hmm. But essentially, probably the, the southern third of the battlefield, modern day Highway 70 between mm -hmm. Kinston and Newburn, which is a dual lane highway, mm -hmm. um, essentially uh, runs parallel right across that bottom third of the battlefield. And, and, and that's where the state... I know you've traveled on it. You've probably seen mm -hmm. signs that say future I-42. We've seen it for the last 10, 15 years <laughs> thinking about this. So um, it, it, 
I've done I've done a lot of tours there. You still got the mm-hmm. rural farmlands. You can still get out in the woods and see some wonderful earthworks. You just have to work around Highway 70. But honestly, it's really that's really the only time that part of the battlefield is really engaged is on the morning of March 10th when Robert Hoke tries to do that attack from the south. Um, right now, of that 4,000 acres, which are listed on the national, it is back in the summer of 2017, those 4,000 acres were added to the National Historic Register, Register of Places by the Department mm-hmm. of the Interior. Um, right now, we have about somewhere, if you did the beer math, around 130, 140 acres. I think when you were out there with me several years back, we mm-hmm. went out to the trenches on Southwest Creek. You've That's got right. some wonderful trenches out there. They're beautiful. And then there's some farmland that the Army of Tennessee, when it did its attack on March 10th, um, there's another f- almost 80 acres of that that is that is preserved. But by and large, it's still maintained, except for Highway 70, mm-hmm. um, it still maintains somewhat of a, a rural because of the uh, – the farmlands around it. So, if uh, someone's traveling and they've got the the book that you and Mark Smith wrote, and they've, they've uh, got some maps with them, there are there are some uh, Civil War trails markers out there, some other markers that help you find your way around, and and you can really use your imagination to to see, as you say, the land largely unchanged. But Highway 70, this dual lane highway, this is now the uh, the the uh, looking for the right. Uh, metaphor I'll, I'll call it the highway in the battlefield mm-hmm. the, the state of north carolina apparently plans to build a massive interchange for highway 70 that would uh, what would it do two things um that whole stretch of the highway essentially from southwest creek which is the on the western edge of the battlefield where the confederate positions were Mm-hmm. Back towards the east, about two miles to back towards Newburn, where the community of Wise Fork is, which is essentially where the Union lines were during the battle. Mm-hmm. You're looking at your typical right away because they're going to have to, although it's already a dual lane, they're going to have to widen it a little bit more because you're looking at interstate speeds. And I, I'm not a I'm not a highway engineer, but mm-hmm. if you look at the DOT maps, they're going to have to do some right away acquisitions all along parallel with both sides of that road. Um, The current interchange is right there when you're coming out of Kinston where Lenora Community College is. There's going to be an interchange that comes in right between, right behind that that college and dumps onto to uh, uh, the current Highway 70. That's going to be an interchange there and that's going to be interstate the whole way to Newburgh. Mm. Now, get down the road about two miles to where the Wise Fort battle, where the, the Union lines, Cox's line was on the battlefield. Their plan now is to put another cloverleaf interchange there. Mm. And I know you've seen the map. That essentially right. wipes out probably half of General Cox's line. It eliminates where Hoax did his division to size attack in the morning of March 10th. And that's just the beginning. That's just the highway plan. Every one of us knows what comes next on an interstate when you offer interchange. You've got your Bojangles, your convenience stores, your motel, hotel, whatever it's going to be. So, I mean, we're just looking at, um, yeah, we're just going to lose. And the other thing, back towards Southwest Creek, I don't know if you remember the Cobb House, the Cobb King House. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which is right there. Well, the Cobb King House was was that brigade (laughs) that was their headquarters in that general area. 
as well as when after the attack by Hoke and Hill, it became a field hospital, both for Confederate wounded and wounded Union prisoners of war. Mm -hmm. uh, that house sits right in that right away that I'm talking about. Um, so there's concern now that, you know, what, what are we going to do about the Cobb house? What's going to happen to it? Because, I mean, there is some, I mean, you've never, I've seen pictures, but I've never been able to go up in the attic uh, mm -hmm. of that house. But you literally see Union soldiers where they wrote their names in and their units, the 9th New Jersey, the 17th mm -hmm. Massachusetts. They're all written up there in, in, the, in the attic on the plaster walls there. So that's the two major things that's going to happen to this battlefield. One, the impact on the Cobb House, mm -hmm. and then especially the Union line with General Cox. That is a major, major part. If they put that interchange in there, Jerry, then I, as a tour guide, cannot. That's going to be one of those things that we park down the road about a half a mile, I say, and point well over there on the March 10th. See, right now I can walk out onto the very fields that Hope's Division's walk and walk those the same path those brigades took that morning of March 10th because it's all on farmland and it's heading right for the Union lines. And you can picture the high ground where that convenience store is, but you know that's the high ground because of the way the terrain is. And you can picture those 20 guns up there sitting there barking at you. But when that's all going to be gone. We lose yep. all that. We lose every bit of it. Well, we're going to have to take another short break, come back, talk more about the fate of the battlefield at Wise Fork. Talking with our guest tonight, Wade Sokolowski. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. 
And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Wade Sokolowski. We're talking about the Battle of Wise Forks in North Carolina in March of 1865 between troops preparing the way for General Sherman's army as it marches north from uh, from South Carolina. And we're talking not just about the battle, but about the battlefield and the possibility, uh, the, the plan by the state of North Carolina to build a great highway cloverleaf interchange in the middle of the 4,000 acres that constitute the battlefield of Wise Forks. So, Wade, this, um, th- this would, as you point out, it would endanger the Cobb House, an existing Civil War structure that would be in the, the right-of-way for the approach to the interchange. It would cover up the ground where, as you said, General Hoke made what I, I believe is the last successful brigade-sized charge made by a Confederate force uh, anywhere uh, when they, they captured those 900 Union troops uh, during the battle. That would all be gone. And and you've, you've referenced the tour that you and I, that you did, that I was uh, had the opportunity to go on with you and learn about from you. Uh, you point out, when we were on that tour, there were many places we were you know, down a path, take a few steps into the woods, watch out for the giant snake uh, that was lying across <laughs> the path that day. And we we would be out of the view shed of highway, our view shed would not be obstructed by Highway 70, two-lane uh, divided highway. We could picture things as of 1865. If you have the the big clover leaf, and as you pointed out, all the things that grow up around it, the fast foods, the gas stations, the motels, then at no point on that battlefield, I would think, could you even imagine for a moment uh, you're in 1865. Uh, there, there'd just be the roar of traffic and uh, uh, the difficulty of, of, of getting anywhere on foot. Uh, it, it, it would be the end of the battlefield, essentially. So n- now comes the key question. Uh, what can we do? What, what can anyone do? What, what, are, what are people trying to do? Well, from, from our group here in eastern North Carolina, what we, we, we obtained what would they call a consulting status with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And back in June, we were invited to a meeting in Kinston and all, all the big players over there, the, the Department of Transportation, State Historic Preservation Office, Fish and Wildlife, the Army Corps of Engineers. And, you know, it was pretty much a meeting. We were told that uh, the decision is made. Um, this is going to happen. So here right now, what we're going to discuss is basically come up with mitigating h- how can we mitigate certain things on the battlefield and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and our big thing was you've got to move that interchange. If you just simply move that interchange about another mile to the east, um, back towards Newburn, do you essentially mm-hmm. preserve the Union line and the March temp? Because you're absolutely right. If they do that, there as as someone who's done a lot of tours out there, there's really no tour for me to do on March 10th. We mm-hmm. can still walk in the woods and go through the trenches and talk about the first couple of days on the the northern sector of the battlefield, which is which will still maintain somewhat of that rural nature of eastern North Carolina. Um, but as far as March 10th piece, it's gone. So right now, that was in June. We're still waiting for the formal memorandum of agreement for all parties to sign. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And, and and we are as a consulting party, we'll we'll have our signature block on that MOA. And right now we're just kind of waiting to see what they they work out. We're working very hard with the State Historic Preservation Office and we're constantly pinging the DOT just about mm-hmm. every day and and all our all our state representatives. Not I would tell folks out there. You think interstate, you think federal highway dollars, right? You, so you're going to mm-hmm. write to the U.S. congressman and U.S. senator. No, uh, no, not this particular part of this, this this project. And that's where the bypass around Kinston is being paid, bo- paid for by North Carolina dollars. Mm-hmm. There is no federal funds because if they took federal highways funds, then they'd have to explain why uh, there was no other courses of action that would not destroy something on the National Historic Registry of Places. Mm. Uh, that doesn't protect it a hundred percent, but right. you've got a lot of you've got a lot of toads in the road and speed bumps you got to get over with federal laws and regulations. Because honestly, Jerry, there was I think a total of 12, 12 submitted options for this bypass around Kinston, mm-hmm. and the other eleven totally avoid the battlefield. And quite frankly, just about all of them are a heck of a lot cheaper, but they went with the most expensive one. And oh, by the way, it's all being paid by tax dollars. So what can you do? What can you what can your listening audience do? Well, if you're a North Carolina resident, uh, obviously reach out to your state representative, your state senator. Tell them you do not approve of this bypass that's destroying history here in North Carolina, where there's other options available that they could have went with. Mm-hmm. Um and whether you're a North Carolinian or you're from Ohio listening tonight, um, contact the American Battlefield Trust. We are, in, we're, we probably talk to them two or three times a week. Because mm-hmm. right now they're targeting four pieces of property, and three of them are right around that March 10th fight. Uh, the other other interesting one is where those that trench line is. They're looking at purchasing it all the way down to the highway, which would preserve all of those wonderful earthworks. Mm. So contact American Battlefield Trust. If you go to their website, uh, Google Wise Fort, just search Wise Fort Battlefield. They have an online petition. Please, it doesn't take two minutes. Sign that petition. Let them know you care because obviously we're going to want to go to Battlefield Trust and say, hey, these property owners want to sell. Come help us, American Battlefield Trust. So uh, whether you're from North Carolina or from Indiana, uh, please go to the American Battlefield Trust. We need that right now because right now we're kind of in a waiting game. Like I said, we're waiting on this memorandum of agreement. Um, we, we've got some great folks out there across America that's contacted us, uh, state archaeologists from other states, other states that have a lot of battlefields are very experienced with this. Uh, working with the DOT from their state historic preservation office. So we've got a lot of good help and a lot of good lawyers out there too that's been helping us. But uh, right now we're be, we're being let's 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 support. Let's see what we can do. I would love for them to move the whole thing and not worry about anything. But as long as we can mitigate some of this and still preserve it, I mean, I, I'm willing to work with the state. I really am. And uh, but right now, so too two things: North Carolina resident, go to your state center to your state representative in Raleigh. Also, no matter where you're from, go to American Battlefield Trust and please, please, please sign that petition that lets the, uh, the trust know that we, we care about this battlefield down here. Well, in, in the time it took you to say that, I went to the American Battlefield Trust website and looked up Wise Forks. And folks, it's spelled W-Y-S-E on their website. Uh, 
on some websites or and some historical uh, places, including uh, your book, Wade, it's spelled Wises, W-I-S-E. Uh, but the one you're looking for when you go to American Battlefield Trust, um, uh, go with W-Y-S-E. Look for it, and the letter's written for you. Fill in your information. I'm already a member, so my information was filled in at American Battlefield Trust, and I clicked sign the letter of opposition, and I'm a signatory now. So listeners, if I can do it while I'm doing the show, I know you can do it while you're listening. Uh, uh, please make the, the Battlefield Trust aware of this this site. It is, uh, it's interesting, Wade, as you pointed out, that it's a, a state site, not a federal site. Uh, and it, it's a state project, uh, not a federal interstate. There's a certain irony there that in the North Carolina is winning the battle for states' rights against federal, uh, oppressive federal uh, officers who would you know, exert their federal tyranny over the state to preserve the graves of North Carolinians or, or the site where they shed their blood to preserve a North Carolina battlefield, uh, the federal government would do a good job. The state government is the one that wants to destroy it. Uh, the, the irony is rich. Um, it's, 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 it's just amazing. And, and unfortunately, this, thing, this whole thing came down. The decision was made back in February of 2020 to go with this, this uh, they call it 1SB, is what mm-hmm. the official title is, uh, bypass 1SB. And then what happens a couple months later? We get hit with COVID, and everything's just kind of, mm. you know, no one's thinking about any of this stuff. And so it, it just, it just when we started coming out of the post, when COVID was, we're starting to get back to our normal way of life, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm down here in Beaufort. I'm not in Kinston. I, I finally hear about this. I'm like, what the heck's going on? And and so that's when a lot of us started coming up on the radar on this whole thing. And, it, it, you know, unfortunately, we're we're coming late in the ball game. Um, I, I don't understand that because I, I understand it's in, it's in Kinston sandbox. Mm-hmm. But when the entire state of North Carolina taxpayers through their through their gas tax or license uh, through the DMV, mm-hmm. your license plate is paying for this. I mean, I don't know why it wasn't made more statewide than just local in Kinston. And now, so that's like I'm saying, we're just kind of got caught off the ball on this one. But I, th- I think we've got a plan. And if everybody can just do those two things right now, we, we, we've we got another course of action if this thing wants to go uh, wrong. But we're not going to do that yet. Now, uh, another place people can stay uh, aware of what's going on here is at the Facebook group called Save oh, Wise Fork Battlefield. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, it's been a long day. Absolutely, yeah. folks, please. Everybody can go, just go Google, uh, not Google, but when you get on Facebook, search your groups, Save Wise Fork. Uh, we try to put a lot of fresh information up there. Somewhat of it's somewhat more of a history of the battle for those not familiar with it. But mm-hmm. as we get updates uh, from, the, from the Corps of Engineers or whoever, we'll, we'll post things up there um, to keep everybody going now uh the administrator of the site uh, skip riddle i last saw him in in rocky mount uh, north carolina which is mm-hmm. uh north of where i am here in greenville whereas wise fork is south uh it is, is that where skip is based uh and is he uh, i know he, he just recently retired i think from heister forklifts um I think I thought he's somewhere around in Greenville. He's, I think his personal he, residence is in Greenville. It, it could could well be. I guess I'm just pointing out that he's he's not from the 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 Kinston area where Wise Fork is. He's from another part of the state. But 
that doesn't limit our interest and protect his interest or mine or anybody no, you've else's. Got, you've got Skip up in Greenville. I'm down here in Beaufort. Uh, Dr. Babbitts, Lawrence Babbitts. Oh, my old uh, colleague, yes. Yeah, oh, your old Larry well. He's with us. He's mm-hmm. he's in he's in the background, and of course Dennis Harper. Dennis Harper is 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 the the local boy from Kinston. Now mm-hmm. Dennis lives in Swansboro now, but I mean he grew up on that battlefield. Uh, when you could walk out there and find a hundred bullets laying on top of the back, <laughs> top of the cornrows, you know. Um, but yeah, so there, there's there's like four or five of us that that we collaborate, talk, we talk three or four times a day sometimes. Well, it, it's uh, it it first. Let me just say thank you to you and and all the people you've mentioned uh, for fighting the good fight. Uh, I've just come back from leading a, a tour in in Virginia. Pennsylvania, Maryland, of some of the very famous sites of, of the Civil War, and to see these just beautifully preserved areas and the people going there and learning and, and being inspired by them and, and and absorbing history from them, you know, the, the, there's no better way to learn about uh, a historic event than to stand where it happened and, and absorb the reality of it. And here we have this lesser known but still very important and very scenic and very accessible battlefield here in North Carolina and instead of turning it into a tourist mecca and making it a place of education and economic development the state wants to put a cloverleaf on top of it um, it, it it's it's not a good thing but listeners you can help uh, as, as Wade says go to the American Battlefield Trust and sign their petition. Go to the Facebook page, Save Wise Fork Battlefield, stay aware of what's happening. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have better news uh, next time around. Wait, I do want to apologize. We didn't even start talking about the new book, North Carolina's Confederate Hospitals. Oh, that's okay, Jerry. 1863. To me, Wise Fork is more important right now. This is okay. Well, the good news is the book is called Volume 1, and hopefully that means there will be a Volume 2, and we can talk about them both uh, in in the future. Uh, I did look through Volume 1, and I found it very interesting. I learned things I didn't know about North Carolina's hospitals. A lot of coastal flavor flavor in Volume 1. If, if listeners, if that's a topic that interests you, there's a book you'll want to look at. In the meantime, do support the Save Wiseport Battlefield Movement. Uh, Wade, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. As always, my friend, thank you very much and happy birthday. <laughs> thank you. And listeners, thank you. As go Pirates. I'm sorry. <laughs> thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio and Go Pirates. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.